0: appreciate that. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Last Sunday, we had an opportunity to celebrate the history of the First Baptist Church of Ridley Park, which is a a long history. They've been around for a long time. And so that was, um, I don't know about you, but but I find history fascinating. It's neat to see where people came from and how things started. Uh, But this Sunday, i want to talk to you a little bit about our our history, Hope Community Church. Uh, This coming summer, this coming June, actually, Hope Community Church turns 10 years old. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Listen, if you're going to play the comparison game, that's a drop in the bucket, right? But yeah, 10 years, that's worth celebrating. So we're looking forward to celebrating that 10th anniversary. Um, As you can imagine, and as as several of you know very well, uh, starting a church from the ground up, um, it's not easy. There are plenty of obstacles along the way. There are administrative obstacles, there are ministry obstacles, there are relationship obstacles, all sorts of obstacles. Uh, One of the things that we face as a new church in this community is really this this challenge of breaking down the assumptions that people have about church and the assumptions that people have about Jesus. Uh, Several years ago, I had a chance to speak with a man who was a missionary to China and like, that's a big deal to be a missionary in China. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but they speak like a whole other language over there, right? It's called Chinese. You might want to write that down, right? So they speak a whole other language over there. So if you're going to go over to China, you need to learn a new language and all this stuff. And so he was telling me about all this effort, all this work that he had to do to go and be this missionary. And he had to come up with a legitimate business reason to be there. You can't just go into the country as a missionary. You need like a, like a front. Can I call it that? That sounds weird but to go over there and have a legitimate business reason for being there and learn this language and all that. And he would tell these stories about the experiences that he has had as a missionary. And one of the experiences that he would talk about Jesus, he would talk about church in the context of a business meeting or meet someone at a grocery store or whatever it was, and he mentioned church and he mentioned Jesus, and people had no idea what he was talking about. They had no context or who is this Jesus you're speaking about? What is church? They had an absolutely no idea. A completely blank slate. And I tell you what, I know you're not supposed to be jealous or envious or covetous, but I'm a little bit jealous of that, that blank slate, because that's just not the case here in our area, is it? Everybody in this area has some kind of point of reference for what church is, some kind of idea of who Jesus is, some kind of idea. Even if all the ideas are wrong, we've heard the name of Jesus before. We are familiar with the concept of church in this community, but how wonderful it must be to have that that blank slate, that clean slate, a fresh start, to introduce the idea of who Jesus is and what church was always supposed to be. There are several assumptions that people make about church, several assumptions that people make specifically about Hope Community Church. One of the assumptions that people have made over the years is that we as a church exist for the sake of making people, quote, more religious. More religious. That's one of the assumptions that people have about a new church. Oh, you're here in this community just to make us more religious. And I need to tell you, that's, that's, just, that's just not the case. Over the past 10 years, I've had uh, occasions where you know, I'll be at a, a party, I'll be meeting a new group of people and uh, trying to get to know somebody or at a wedding reception, that happens a lot. And you're just you know, sharing stories. And, and eventually the question will come up. Someone will ask me, hey, well, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm the pastor of Hope Community Church. That, my friends, is a wonderful, awkward, uncomfortable moment (laughs) to tell someone that you are a pastor, right? Because right away they start thinking, oh my goodness, what have I said up to this point in the conversation? How many times have I cussed? Did I say anything inappropriate? Has this guy been judging me the whole time? It's a very, very awkward moment, right? It's a very uncomfortable moment. In fact, that's why I became a pastor. I had this gift of being able to make people feel uncomfortable, and I thought, how could I turn this into a career? So that's why I became a pastor. No, but that's true. When you say that, it does make people feel uncomfortable, and there are certain standard responses that I'm used to receiving after I say, oh, yeah, I'm the pastor of Hope Community Church. Sometimes people tell me, oh, well, I go to such and such a church. So they tell me, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian too, and I belong to a different church, and that's that. Or sometimes a person will say, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to go to this church. I used to go to St. Mads, or I used to go do this, or do that, or whatever. Kind of tell me about their church and their past. Other times, and this happens quite often, other times when I say that I'm a pastor, people tell me, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. I'm not religious. And I appreciate when people tell me that, right? I'm not religious. Because that's the polite way of saying, hey, dude, whatever you're selling, I'm not buying, right? Because I'm I'm not religious. When I'm feeling feeling bold, and this happens every once in a while, when I'm feeling bold, I will respond to that statement with a statement of my own. Someone tells me they're not religious, I will say right back to them, oh, neither am I. Neither am I. Because I don't consider myself to be a religious person. It's all a matter of how you define religion. What is religion? What does it mean to be a religious person? If you consider... A religious person as somebody that talks about God? Okay, fine, I'm a relig- religious person. Sure, if you define it that way. But if you define religion differently, if you define it as a person's effort to make themselves right with God, see, then, then I'm not religious. And I, I think so many people define religion that way, a person's effort to make themselves right with God. That's how people have defined religion over the years. And I'm not about attempting to make myself right with God. And here's what we see over time and over the centuries. People have, have engaged in different religious practices, different ways, different attempts to make themselves right before God. Some people, um, they, they do a bunch of rituals. They have rituals that they do and they think these rituals will make them right before God. Uh, other people, they, um, they, they give over certain sacrifices and they feel like I'm gonna make these sacrifices and these sacrifices are gonna make me right before God. Other people, they engage in, in good deeds and acts of charity, say I'm gonna do these good deeds and, and these good deeds are gonna make me right before God. But I need to tell you, I don't think any of that stuff can make me right before God. I don't think any of that stuff can make us right before God. Now, let me clarify. I'm not anti-ritual. Rituals can be wonderful things as long as they're not empty, as long as you know why you're doing what you're doing. And I'm certainly not anti-sacrifice. For people to make sacrifices, I, I mean, sacrifice is a very important ingredient in what it means to love somebody else. That sacrifice. And I'm certainly not opposed to good deeds, right? I'm not at all. I'm just saying that I don't believe any of those things, any of those religious practices, as you might call them, can make us right before God. And so I want to let you all know, and please feel free to tell your friends that as the pastor of this church, I'm not here to make you more religious. That's not my goal. That's not our goal as a church. In fact, you ready for this? In fact, I love to see people become less religious and to give up on religion entirely in exchange for something else. When I read the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't think Jesus entered into this world to start a religion. I think he was after something much bigger than that. Take a look at this couple of verses that Joyce read for us this morning. We're going to back up in John chapter 3. And so John, was one of the first followers of Jesus, if not the first, and John, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, wrote a biography of the life of Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, a Bible on your your phone app or or whatever it is, um, if you want to take a look at John chapter 3 beginning with verse 1, we're going to start there. So this is a... um, you know, in the world of church, in the world of Christianity, this is a relatively well-known conversation that takes place between a religious leader, a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus, and this man was a member of the Sanhedrin, the a Jewish ruling council. And so, this conversation is between Nicodemus and Jesus. And there are some important revelations that we receive in this conversation. So again, I'm in John chapter 3. I'm starting with verse 1. You can turn there if you'd like to follow along, or you can just listen. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, we don't know exactly why Nicodemus is having this meeting with Jesus. We don't know if he set out on his own and trying to ask Jesus some questions. We don't know if the Sanhedrin, this Jewish ruling council, sent Nicodemus on a fact-finding mission. We really have no idea why Nicodemus starts this conversation because Jesus almost immediately hijacks the conversation. Whatever you're here to talk about, Nicodemus, I'm going to introduce a new idea. I'm going to talk about something else. So Nicodemus... Shows up at night and it begins with words of flattery. Not just empty words of flattery, but but a legitimate point that Nicodemus makes. He says, All right, Jesus, you're out there and you're saying these things and you're teaching these things, and yes, there's some controversy, but you're performing these miraculous signs. So clearly, God is with you. It's evident by what you're able to do. And that's when Jesus interjects and says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born. Again, now this concept of kingdom, the kingdom of God, was very important to Nicodemus and his fellow Israelites. I mean, the Israelites at this point in history, they were living under Roman rule, under Roman oppression, and they had this longing to see the kingdom of Israel restored. They were hoping for a Messiah to come along you know, in, the, in the line of David, someone like Solomon to come along and make Israel a great nation. Once upon a time, Israel was the superpower of the world, and they wanted to see that kingdom restored. And so Nicodemus, like a lot of his fellow Israelites, they had this kind of small view of God's kingdom. And Jesus came to bring a much bigger kingdom to this world. And so it says, truly, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, you cannot see, you cannot enter into this kingdom of God unless you are, quote, born again. In the recorded gospels, this is the only time that Jesus uses that terminology, born again. Peter uses it in his letters as well. This idea of, okay, you're born once and then something needs to change. There needs to be a transformation. Something else happens. Born above, born a second time. So he needs to flesh this idea out. Nicodemus responds, verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Nicodemus is saying, I I know you're not speaking literally about being born again, so what is it you were talking about? Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And so Jesus begins to create this delineation, right? Uh, We all have a, a, a birth into this world, a physical birth. And what happens? The mama's water breaks, and the baby is born, right? Just that easy, isn't it, ladies, right? (laughs) The water breaks, baby's born, a natural birth. Okay, water, natural. Okay, so that's one thing to be born naturally into this world, and then he contrasts this idea with the idea of being born, again, a spiritual time, born of water, but then of the spirit. Flesh gives birth birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, tune in for this next statement, because this is pretty wild and mysterious. You should not be surprised Am I saying you must be born again? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ooh, that's terribly mysterious, isn't it? Right? So Jesus lays out this idea for Nicodemus, this idea of, well, you know about wind. You know about wind. So it makes a sound as it moves through the trees. There's evidence of the wind all around you. So you know that the wind is there even though you can't see it. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. You may not see the Spirit of God, but you see the evidence of the Spirit of God in their lives. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're not answering any of my questions. You didn't give me a chance to even explain why I'm here. What are you talking about? How can this be? Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things? Now, this is a bit blunt, perhaps a bit harsh, but Jesus was making this observation Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. Nicodemus, you sit on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. Nicodemus, when people have questions about the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God and eternal life and heaven, they come to you. You are Israel's teacher. How do you not understand these things? Well, there is an answer to that question. You know These ideas that, that Jesus was introducing to Nicodemus, he just wasn't familiar with them. You know, Nicodemus knew a lot. He had to know a lot about his history, the history of the Israelites. He knew about their religion. He knew about their, their journey with God over the ages. But what Jesus was explaining was, was something that, that Nicodemus had never seen before and never understood before. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. Here's one of the many things that makes Jesus different from us, right? When somebody approaches you with some questions or wants to have a conversation, you don't know what's going on in that person's heart. You don't know the person's motivation, but Jesus Jesus, he did. he did. He knew exactly what was going on in Nicodemus's heart, and he knew that overall, the Pharisees were rejecting the teachings of Jesus. <clears throat> verse, let's see, verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's a term Jesus use, uses to refer to himself. It goes back to the book of Daniel, this, this vision that Daniel saw, and, he sees this, this heavenly scene, this temple scene, and he, he's expecting to see God come out of this scene, and, and instead it's a person. It looks like a son of man. And so Jesus uses this term to refer to himself to emphasize that he is that son of man, that unexpected appearance of God. Verse 14, just as Moses, okay, huh, ready for this? Very weird. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so Jesus makes this reference. Nicodemus would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about because back in the history of the Israelites, back in the time of Moses, there was this thing that happened where the Israelites were being bitten by snakes and being poisoned, and so God told Moses to do this very strange thing, right? By the way, God told Moses to do a lot of very strange things. I don't even know if this would make the top ten, but he tells them to do this strange thing. He says, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a stick, lift it up. And everybody looks up at the snake, they'll be healed. All right, God, I guess I'll do this now, right? That's Moses. Just just, all right, whatever you say. And so they hold up this pole, hold up this staff, and everyone who looked up to it was saved. And so Nicodemus understood that point of reference. But other than that, can you imagine how lost he was? What are you talking about? You're going to be lifted up like that snake on the pole, and people are going to look to you and be saved? What are you talking about? Here's the wonderful thing. At the crucifixion, Nicodemus was there and saw Jesus lifted up on that cross, on that stick, on that pole, saw it. And I think in that moment, Nicodemus had a flashback. Oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. See, this is why I think Christopher Nolan should make a movie about the life of Jesus with all these twists and turns and flashbacks. It's like, whoa, all of a sudden it makes sense. Just like Moses lifted up that pole, now Jesus is being lifted up and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Then we transition from verse 15 into the often quoted verse 16. I should let you know that there is um, some disagreement about verse 16, about this transition here. Some people think that in verse 16, uh, Jesus is continuing to speak, that these words are the words of Jesus. Other people believe that now John, the writer of this book, has jumped in and is giving us a commentary about what Jesus was talking about. I think it's the latter. I think now when we get to verse 16, it's John giving us his explanation of this conversation that he's just recorded for us. So John is explaining this to us. He says, for God so loved the world as in all the people of this world, as in all the people of this world... You cannot be more inclusive than that. God so loved all the people of this world, not just the religious ones, not just the ones that we would consider to be, quote, good. God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes, Not just like the the church-going types, not just the religious types, not just the, quote, good people. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I don't know who John had, like, as his editor or as his proofreader, but they probably had some conversation about this one sentence here. Because John, in the original Greek, he made up some terminology here. This whole concept of believing in, what are you talking about, believing in? Okay, so he used bad grammar to convey this new idea about putting your belief in someone. And so John is clarifying. It's not just about acknowledging, oh, I, I believe that somebody exists or I believe that something happened. It's putting your belief in as putting your trust in, right? Parents, you know what it's like to say to your kids, I believe in you, right? I believe in you. I believe you can do this. It's not like you're saying, I believe you exist. It's more than that. I believe in you. I believe you can do this. I believe that you're capable of this. So John is clarifying this idea that whoever puts their belief in Jesus won't perish, won't die, but instead will enter into eternal life. For God, oh oh boy, this is so important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This wasn't a mission of condemnation. That's not why he was sent into the world, but to save the world through him. That's why God sent Jesus into this world. And so earlier I said it's, it's not about religion because I don't think that Christianity is about religion. I don't think it is about trying to do stuff to make yourself right before God because I believe that there's nothing we can do that's really good enough to meet God's standards, that we can't make ourselves right before God. And so thank God that he has intervened into this world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Over the past 2,000 years, so many of us uh, Christian people, people that identify as Christians, have have kind of fumbled this concept of, of salvation in Jesus, right? And we fumbled this idea of putting our belief in Jesus and putting our trust actually in Jesus. So I'm going to attempt to do a little visualization here, give you a little example of what this whole thing is about and what it really means to believe in Jesus, not just believe that Jesus existed, not just believe that Jesus did some good stuff, but to put your belief, your trust in Jesus. It's kind of like me and this stool, right? I believe that this stool exists. Who's with me? Does anybody believe that this? Okay. A few of you are like, I'm not so sure where you're going with this, buddy. I believe in this stool. There it is right there, but I'm not sitting on it maybe I don't believe that it can hold me up, right? Listen, I put this thing together, and I'm not like a master craftsman or anything, so I go, like, oh, boy, I don't know about this. Should I actually trust this to hold me up? No, you know what? I'm going to stand on my own two feet. I'm going to believe in myself. I can hold myself up. I can carry my own weight. I am not going to put my belief in the I believe it exists, but I'm just not going to put my belief that it will hold up. I'm not gonna put my trust in this stool, right? Then there's this approach. Like, okay, this looks somewhat sturdy, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna kind of lean on it a little bit, doing like a half and half situation, right? You know what I mean? It's like i put some of my weight on the stool, some of my weight on my own two feet. It's like, okay, we're kind of doing like a partnership thing here. Like I believe in it a little bit, I've got a degree of trust, but I'll just kind of like rock one of these. You know what I mean? Rock one of these, right? Kind of trusting in myself and in the stool 50-50. There you go, right? But if I fully believe in, if I fully trust in this tool, here's what I will do. You ready for this? Ta-da! Please hold your applause until the end of the demonstration, right? And so you see where I'm going with this. It's like Jesus, right? And some people, they believe that Jesus exists, And I believe he was a good man. And I even believe that he died on a cross. And I even believe that he rose from the dead. I believe all that stuff. But I still got to do my religious stuff. And I still got to do, it's great what Jesus did. I still got to follow all of his teachings if I want to earn heaven for myself. I still have to engage in certain practices to earn heaven for myself. And I'm going to follow Jesus' example. And I'm going to try to make myself good because Jesus wants me to be good. I'm going to trust in myself. And that's how some Christian people approach Jesus and approach their faith. Others, okay, this is a lot of Christians, actually, in my experience. Others rock one of these. Now, what Jesus did was important, right? And I couldn't get by without Jesus, and so thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. And so we'll kind of do a 50-50 thing here. Well, I'll do my part, Jesus, and you'll do your part. That's not how it works. Listen, be clear on this point. We're not saved by our good works, all right? We're saved for good works. Let me just clarify that point right now. I'm not saying we should not engage in good works. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there's a difference between what we're trusting in to save us. Now this, you ready for this? This is what it looks like to fully trust in Jesus. I know, right? I know, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. This is what it looks like to fully trust in Jesus. I'm not trying to help Jesus out in, in the salvation of me. No, Jesus has that covered. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trying to just be a religious person or be a better person. No, no, no. I'm putting all of my trust in Jesus. Here is why Hope Community Church exists. Not to make people more religious, but to make them less less dependent on themselves for salvation. In fact, like I said earlier, we want to encourage people to give up on religion entirely and instead lean into trusting in Jesus entirely. Fully trust in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Consider this. Who do you trust? Who do you trust in your life? Who's the person you trust the most? If you're married, it's probably your spouse. I hope it's your spouse, right? close friend that you have, who do you trust the most in your life? Think about this. Who do you trust? I think I know who you trust. You trust somebody that you know. You trust somebody that you know very well. You trust somebody that you are in a relationship with. They're not a concept. It's not a far-off thing. You trust the people that you know. Are you like me? Do you work this way? Like, I give out trust in degrees. I think a lot of people are like that, right? You meet somebody, you give them the benefit of the doubt, you give them a little bit of trust, maybe they earn some more of a time, maybe you form a close friendship, a close relationship, and then you trust that person even more, and you know, hey, you know what? I can be vulnerable with this person. I can trust them to keep my secrets. I can trust that they're not going to judge me, right? You give them time. And some people earn more of your trust. And unfortunately, as you get into relationship with some people, they, they kind of, like, earn less of your trust, to put it politely, right? But the people you trust the most are people that you no. Here's the problem with this whole explanation of what Jesus has done for us. Here's the problem with me saying to you, hey, just put your trust in Jesus. How can you trust somebody that you don't know? I, uh, how, mm, really, how do you trust somebody with something so big, like the salvation of my soul and going to heaven? How do you trust somebody that you don't know? This is why Hope Community Church is here, to give you a chance to get to know Jesus, right, so that you can actually really put your trust in him. Christianity, it's not about religion, it's about relationship, because in that context of relationship with Jesus, that's where we can learn to trust him, trust that he has done for us exactly what he claimed to do. Trust that he has died for us. Trust that he can forgive our sins. Trust that he is the only one that has the power and the ability and the authority to give us the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And that kind of trust is formed in the context of relationship. You know, it's one thing to take a look at try to pick up a Bible and try to do some reading and try to make your way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, let me read about this Jesus. That's one thing to to do it from an analytical perspective. But here's the reality. This Jesus, the Jesus that we meet in the pages of the Bible, he desires more than just to be known or understood as a concept. He wants to be in a relationship with us. His love, let let me make this personal. The love that Jesus has for you is not a concept. He actually loves you as a person, as a human being, as an individual. He loves you. And if you say, oh, I don't know about that, just look at what he's done for you. If you were the only human being to ever walk the face of the earth, I am convinced that Jesus would have died on that cross just for you. And so, this is why we as a church are here in this community. Not to make people more religious, but to give them the opportunity for relationship, to find salvation in Jesus Christ, to get to know Jesus, to feel comfortable with Jesus, to actually receive that love, all in the hope that one day, more and more people will feel comfortable and feel safe putting their absolute trust in what Jesus has done for us. That's why we're here. Let's pray on that. Father, we thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus, we believe that you desire to save us. We believe that you love us. And so, Father, help us. Help to destroy those barriers that that get in the way of our being able to receive that love. Jesus, help us to understand you, not not just as a concept, but but to, to know you as a person, to develop that personal relationship with you, Father God, I pray for for every person in this room right now, every person hearing my voice, that you would speak to us, that you would carry us to that next step, that you would take us to that place of getting to know you, Jesus, as our Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.